Sissy, I have a question for you. Queso or guac? Well, I'm used to us asking that question, but not answering it. But I think I would choose queso. How would you feel about queso being central to your dinner tonight? Oh, I love that plan. Thanks to one of our sponsors, that can be your reality. Factor is helping me make red pepper queso chicken tonight. That sounds amazing. I love Factor. I just made a green chili pork and pico de gallo bowl. Did it bowl you over? (laughs) It did. (laughs) With Factor, you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Sign up and save. We have done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule? Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash rbg50 and use code rbg50 to get 50% off. That's code rbg50 at factormeals.com slash rbg50 to get 50% off. Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. Communicator, author, and pastor Andy Stanley founded Atlanta-based North Point Ministries in 1995. Today, North Point Ministries consists of eight churches in the Atlanta area and a network of 180 churches around the globe that collectively serve over 200,000 people weekly. Author of more than 20 books, Andy is considered one of the most influential pastors in America. His wife, Sandra Stanley, received her Bachelor of Science degree from Georgia Tech and Master of Arts from Dallas Theological Seminary. Sandra has a heart for foster kids and foster families, as she and Andy have been foster parents since 2010. In their book, Parenting, Getting It Right, Andy and Sandra combine their experience and wisdom helping readers live by essential parenting principles. In a conversational approach that is informative and accessible, readers will understand the most important goal in parenting and how to pursue it. You all, it is so fun just to get to finally meet you all. It's been so many years, and we have long 
admired your work and loved you all as people and the difference you make. And you have loved on a lot of our dear friends over the years. I wish we were sitting together in person, but at least it's so fun to get to sit together virtually. That's right. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Yes. And we are so excited about your new book, Parenting, Getting It Right. And that's where we want to jump in. We want you all, if you were going to say what you believe the primary goal of parenting is, how would you answer that question? Well, that's a great question. And to sum it up, I and I spent some time thinking about this because it's such a good question. I, for us, and this is really what the book's about, We, our goal is emotionally healthy and thus relationally successful adults. We want to raise emotionally mm-hmm. healthy, which sets our kids up to be relationally successful adults. As you know, no one is happier than their relationships, and that begins at home. And so our win or our bullseye on the target, our it in terms of getting it right was all relational. We parented with the relationship in mind from the beginning to the end. And we did that because of something I saw in Sandra's family when we were first married. Her brother and sister and her parents loved to be together. And when four of the five of them were together, they always called the fifth one to tell them what they were missing. To torment them. To torment them. Oh, I love that. And early in our marriage, to be honest, this kind of got on my nerves. And then I realized, actually, that's the win. And so when we had our first child, Andrew, he was in the car seat as an infant. We were headed to vacation with her family, and we started talking about it. And that's where the um, idea of this, of our win, our it, our relational win. And our relational win is we wanted to raise kids who would enjoy being together and enjoy being with us when they no longer had to be, who would want to be together and would want to be with us when they no longer had to be. And now our kids are 30, 28, and 27 And we thought, well, hey, let's share with the rest of the world what we've learned along that journey. And what we've learned the hard way. Yeah. (laughs) Not just, Mm. yeah. We've learned from from people. We've learned the easy way, the hard way, all the ways. Yeah, yeah. We sit with parents all the time in counseling who are saying, how do I help my kids get along better? What can I do? And so for y'all to have this long view and be able to say what you've done and, and outline it so specifically in the book, I'm just, we're so grateful. Yes, we are. Yes. Well, thank you. And building on that, would love to ask you all, will you give just a brief overview of the four stages of parenting you talk about in the book? Yes. And this was something we did not come up with. We learned this from other people. And when we heard it for the first time, we thought that seems important. That sounds important. We did not realize until we got to the other side of the parenting journey, just how important these four stages of parenting really are. The first one is the discipline years. That's zero to five years old. Mm -hmm. And these are the years where we are teaching our kids that there are consequences for their behaviors, for their good and their safety. We just need them to obey. And in this season, consistency is the key. Mm -hmm. The next stage is the training years from five to 12 years old. And these are the years where we're really beginning to explain the why behind the what. They're beginning to be able to reason a little bit. And so we kind of lean into that. We start explaining while we're training during those seasons. And we can talk a little more about that. But we practiced everything with our kids and we turned everything into a game. So that was our mode of training. Wow, that's awesome, y'all. Coaching years, Mm. 12 to 18. These are those years that everybody's a little nervous about, you know, as their parenting gearing up to (laughs) us like, oh, no, here we go. Middle school and high school. And these are the years of coaching years where we're standing on the sidelines a little bit more. We're coaching them and they're learning to make some independent decisions. Like a coach, we step in and yank them off the field every once in a while. But for the most part, we're letting them 
you know, kind of start figuring some things out and experience some natural consequences rather than, you know, us coming up with all the consequences for them. But during this season, this is when we want to connect more than correct. And we're coaching as we're doing that. And then 18 and on the friendship years, kind of where we are now. I said to somebody the other day, in this season, if we met our kids, if we didn't know them and we met them, we would want to be friends with them. And mm. that just feels like a win in yep. the friendship years. So those mm-hmm. are the kind of the four yes. stages. And again, we picked that up from other people and it has just informed a lot of our approaches and decision-making in the different seasons because it has to look different. Yes. One of the differentiators between the training years and the coaching years is in the training years, uh, Sandra made this up, I love this, everything is fun and nothing is dumb. But once they hit 12 or 13, everything is dumb and nothing is fun. <laughs> so you got you to got strike so while you so good. While little. So yeah. training, and when we say training, we really did turn everything into a game. And we, if, if someone was coming over for dinner, I would go outside, stand on the front porch, ring the doorbell, and we they would practice greeting. Getting their hand out there quick, yeah. shaking hands. We would practice oh, eating out at a restaurant, at home. But again, in those early years, that everything can be turned into a game. And one of the mistakes, just so your audience knows, we spent 10 years in student ministry working with middle school and high school kids at my dad's church. Wow! So we saw every parenting model, every parenting strategy you can imagine, the good and the bad and the ugly. And when we met secure middle school and high school students who we thought, wow, we would take their parents out to lunch or just take their parents out to coffee to say, what did you do? We are Give seeing your map. We're seeing the result of some years of something. Wow. So we feel like we kind of had a head start and we were able to do some things early, not because we're smart, but because we saw certain dynamics play out in good ways and not so good ways with parents. And this was one of the things that we picked up on was not expecting kids to know how to do things that you never trained your kid to do. I coached a lot of baseball with our kids, my sons, and I would watch dad show up at games and just be so frustrated with their sons and realize, well, you're not training, you're not practicing at home because you're too busy. Mm -hmm. You show up at the game and expect them to be able to do something you've never trained them to do. Mm -hmm. And this is an easy trap to fall into for parents. So those training years are extremely, extremely important. But again, Everything's fun. Nothing's dumb. That's your opportunity. Don't miss it. Yes. I remember a mom who said to me, we have just had a major developmental shift. And she said, my daughter went from saying, mom, you're so funny to mom, you're so funny. Exactly what you're describing. And we yeah. wonder what happened. Well, Nothing yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing changed. Nothing happened. <laughs> We're the right, same. Right. right. David, what do you do to get a good night's sleep? Oh, I have to put my phone away at least an hour before I go to bed, and then I like to read to calm myself. What about you? Something new I'm doing is using bowl and branch sheets. They are the softest, most luxurious sheets I have ever had. They help me sleep so much better. I love my bowl and branch sheets. They felt silky soft from the moment I got them, but they get even softer after every wash. They are so much better than our old sheets. I had been hearing about bowl and branch all over the place, and now I know why. Their signature hemmed sheets are bestsellers for a reason. They are 100% organic cotton and buttery soft. Soft and breathable, so they're perfect all year round. Sleep better at night with bowl and branch sheets. 
Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code RBG at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code RBG. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Well, we also love that you talk about spiritual formation as a family. We all talk a little bit about what that looks like as well. Yes, and I just want to give a sort of a banner statement. I'm going to let Sandra give some examples because what we did in the book, we actually, in the spiritual formation chapter, we did a lot of things, but we actually asked our kids, what did we do that actually made a difference? What are the things that stuck? And she'll tell you about some of those in a minute, but here's what Mm. we want the audience to hear that spiritual formation cannot be divorced from relational formation. Mm. Spiritual formation is not a standalone, isolated thing. It's not information. And the reason we know this is true is the Apostle Paul comes along, and when he describes spiritual formation, it is always within the context of relationships. This is why throughout the Apostle Paul's writings, we run into one another, one another, one another, respect one another, honor one another, forgive one another. You cannot form healthy spiritual life apart from relationships with other people. For God so loved the world that he moved in our direction. Mm -hmm. So we were very intentional when it came to spiritual formation to always connect that to relational health and how people were being treated and how people were being honored. So that was, that was a theme. So we didn't have like amazing family devotionals. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That just wasn't part of what we did. But we always connected spiritual formation to relational health. Mm -hmm. And and Sandra can tell you some specifics. And in that vein of relationship, we recognize there is a relationship that is more important than all the other ones. And that is their personal relationship with their Heavenly Father. So our ultimate goal is it related to our kids and their walk with the Lord was for them to develop a faith of their own, to own their faith, that it wouldn't just be something that is what we do as a family or resting on tradition or, you know, even the right thing to do. It was we wanted them to own and develop a faith of their own. We really did see as a big part of that, inspiring and equipping our children to trust God and follow Jesus, to trust God and follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, we talked about five specific things, but one of the primary things we did was we emphasized the importance of a personal relationship with God. And to that end, we prayed with our kids every night that God would show them His will for their life. We wanted them to understand God has a personal will for your life. And so every night, you know— Which is connected to the real world. Again, it doesn't stand outside of— you know, yeah. daily activities. We wanted faith your, to have an active faith. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about a number of different things, but one of the main things we did was we prayed with them in every season. And this was one of the things that they say made the biggest difference. We knelt down by their beds at night when they were little, prayed with them in that context. As they got older, we just asked the question, what is what is praying with our kids look like in every different season? And so fast forward to kind of maybe high school years, we still prayed with our kids, you know, almost every night, not every night, but it turned into something we called stare prayer. Yeah, which doesn't mean we stared at each other. We actually met. on the stairs. We (laughs) met on the stairs. And Sandra would- Neutral territory. Yeah, you know, 8 o'clock, 8.30, we would say, okay, stare prayer. And they come out of the rooms, put down their homework, meet on the stairs. Yeah. 
pray together. Sometimes it was short. Sometimes it was long. Sometimes it turned into conversation. Just, sometimes it was a wrestling match. Sometimes yeah, it, yeah. Know, don't don't just, picture the Holy Stanley no, family. Was, this it, was yeah, exactly. We, we have very normal kids. One of the worst things I did one night. I don't it know why. It was a I terrible idea. We're all sitting on the stairs, which means like Sandra and I are sitting next to each other, and they're kind of staggered, you know, down the stairs. There's we have three kids for those of you who don't know, and they're all 20 months apart. You know. So about their similar ages. So one night I said, hey, tonight we're all going to pray. This was a terrible idea. I said, tonight we're all going to pray for the person on our right. All three of our kids stood up and tried to sit <laughs> in between up. me and Sandra because they didn't want to pray for <laughs> each other. Moving around. I said, who they don't I said pray for. never mind. Just go to your rooms. We will try this again tomorrow. <laughs> so, and the reason we started praying on the stairs is because we used to pray in our daughter's room and our boys smell like boys. And finally, Allie's like, we are not doing this in my room anymore. When they leave the room, my room smells bad. Oh, that's so good. But the point being, we tried to adjust along the way. And um, that was a, right. a constant. It was such a cool thing, such a big deal that we had, we're foster parents. And once our kids were gone, we had a, a young lady who'd lived with us for a long time. And uh, she had her small group from church over for a weekend event. And they spent the night in her home. And her name's Maisie. She's 22 now. And she came to us and she said, hey, when when my small group comes over, can we do stair prayer? Aww. And she wanted her small group to experience this, you know, mm -hmm. stair prayer. So mm -hmm. the point being, Beautiful. we tried to keep those essentials in the mix throughout the parenting journey, adjusting how it looked and adjusting when it happened. So anyway, those yeah. that's and we again we outlined about four or five things in the book yeah. about what we did. So one other specific thing that we prayed with our kids, and this really goes to that following Jesus part of you know of what we wanted to inspire our kids to do. There was a prayer that we prayed with them that we still pray even in our marriage, and they I think pray in their marriages still because it was such a foundational idea in their praying and in our praying as a family. And it was simply, God, would you give us the wisdom to know what's right? and the courage to do what's right, mm. even when it's hard. Mm. Y'all, that's right. awesome. And that was just, you know, a consistent yep. prayer through every season of life. And there were years, again, to those coaching years, the even when it's hard part became so important. Yeah. Because sometimes you're standing by yourself right. when you're doing what's right. Yes. And that makes it really hard. Or sometimes people, you know, as you get older, they have opinions about what you're doing or not doing. And that gets really, really hard. And so we would and we would say when they would hit a bump or there's a tension, we would say, this is the even when it's hard part. Mm -hmm. And they had a context for that. It's like, oh, right. this is what we've been praying all these years. Hey, this is the even when it's hard part. And it just, again, created language for us with our kids. Yeah. So, mm. And we had some hard parts. Trust me, we're <laughs> sure. making it sound pretty easy, but very normal kids, normal family. <laughs> right. And preacher's kids, which makes On it even more complicated, it, right? Yes. So. That was something I didn't really think about before I said yes to him. I thought, ooh, huh. Afterwards, we're going to have to have preacher's kids. Yeah, I'm like, too late, baby. <laughs> too late. I'm not changing my career. That's good. <laughs> That's great. You all, we loved how you talked about the importance of a short list of non-negotiables. What were yours, and how do you encourage parents to find theirs? Well, I'll, the principle, and then I'll give you the specifics. Rules and consequences should be connected to your parenting win. In the first part of the book, we say every parent needs to determine what is our win or what is our it. The subtitle of the book is getting it right. And the point is the it. What is it? Every parent wants to get parenting right. 
But what is it? If you don't define it, culture will define it for you. Mm. The whirlwind of parenting makes it almost impossible to identify. So our it was kids who would enjoy being with us and with each other when they no longer had to be. So consequently, we determined rules and consequences that were 100% relational because we were parenting toward healthy relationships. So we had two overarching rules in our home. Number one, honor mom. My personal favorite. Yeah, honor mom, <laughs> not, not obey mom. See, great relationships are not fueled by obedience. Great relationships are fueled by honor. Honor is very different than obedience. So honor mom, number one. Number two, never tell a lie. Mm. And the reason we gave our kids for never tell a lie is not the Ten Commandments or the Bible says. The reason you never tell a lie is because lying breaks a relationship. Mm. When you lie, you break a relationship because we were parenting with a relationship in mind. In the book, I teased this idea out but when I was going to ask my kids a question that I thought they might be tempted to lie about, like what time and who and where, I would say to them, hey, I need to ask you something. And you might be tempted to lie to me because if I were you, I might be tempted to lie to my parents. Mm. But I hope you won't lie to me because if you lie to me, it's going to break our relationship. Mm. So I set up the questions like that. Mm. Give them a moment to, again, contextualize what I'm about to ask because the issue isn't the issue we're going to talk about, there's a bigger issue, our relationship. Mm -hmm. And whenever I did that and then asked the question, I could see in their eyes, there's the fear of if I tell the truth, here's what's going to happen, but I don't want to break the relationship. So you don't tell a lie because lying breaks the relationship. Mm -hmm. So those were our two overarching rules. And the reason it was honor mom, not honor your mother and your father is because I believe, and this is just an opinion, y'all are the experts, in a two-parent home, honoring mom is a keystone rule. If you get that right, a whole lot of other things flow from that. Mm. So those were our two overarching rules. They were 100% relational, and consequently, the consequences for breaking those rules were also relational. Mm. Yeah. One of the ways that that honor mom kind of played out in, in our family was as our kids were growing up, Andy made the boys stand at the dinner table until I was seated. Um, and nobody could start eating until I was ready. And and part of that was, you know, I was the primary person preparing all of the food, doing all the work on the front end. So it was a gratitude thing, but it was also a, here's an opportunity to honor mom. And there's nothing inherently magical about that practice. But we knew, and Andy called this early, we just assumed there would be women in our boys' futures, and we wanted them to be set up and prepared to treat women with extraordinary respect, especially the women that would be in their lives for the rest of their mm. lives. And then on top of that, for our daughter, we wanted the bar to be set so high for her that there would be a certain expectation yep. as to how she would be treated. Oh, mm. Y'all, that is Love beautiful. That. And we wanted her to have no tolerance for being disrespected, yep. you know, men around her. So those were two kind of, you know, Andy mentioned this being a keystone rule. Those were two of the things that kind of flowed from that that we thought was mm. were really, really important. And one of the funny things was so our sons would have friends over for dinner sometimes and you know dinner's ready the friends would come in and just sit down Andrew and Garrett are standing behind their chair and their friends are the only ones seated <laughs> and then they would stand up not knowing why and stand behind their chairs like what are we what's doing happening? what's happening <laughs> and then we would all be seated and we never explained it. And after a while, they knew when you eat at the Stanleys, you stand behind your chair until Sandra is seated. It just, and, wow. and to this day, 
I mean, for years we would go to other people's homes and people would be gathering around a table and the men would just sit down and the boys would stand behind their chairs and look at me like, do we stand? Do we, do we stand? Sit? Do we sit? What do we do? <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's nothing legalistic about this. This was symbolic. It was symbolic. But those mm. symbols, you know, as you know, symbols are powerful. Yes. So we tried to create those practical ways of expressing that. And then again, it wasn't always perfect. And when our kids were dishonoring to their mom, there were consequences. But as we talk about in the book, the consequences were connected to restoring a relationship. We did not make a habit of just taking things away from our Punishing. kids. Yeah. yeah. If you take it, taking things away from your kids does not restore a relationship. It just takes things away from your kids. They're just going to be more careful next time. So we tried to always ask the question, and we give some examples in the book, of how do you create disciplines in response to their dishonor or their disobedience or their disrespect? How do you create disciplines that then reestablish the relationship. We wanted our kids to understand that on the other side of every rule is a person. The rule is just a means to an end. A rule is a way to honor another person. So when a rule is broken, someone is hurt, someone's disrespected, someone is disadvantaged. So we always wanted to connect the dots between what we're asking them to do and who is at stake, not simply what is at stake. But again, what drove all that was our decision way back that we're going to parent with a relationship in mind because happy people are healthy relationally and, you know, that's ultimately the win. And as we think about the idea that on the other side of any infraction, you know, of our kids is a broken or bruised relationship, we decided to kind of start that conversation really early. So really even early. in those discipline years, we disciplined for three things, disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect. We call them the three Ds because there are tons of things that are just childish, but they aren't necessarily something we need to come down on with discipline. You know, we kind of coach them or help them navigate some childishness, but the three things we made a big deal about were disobedience, dishonesty, and disrespect, simply because those are the three things that break relationships. Those are the three things. Mm. So even when they were little, our idea of helping them reestablish and reconnect those broken relationships when they were little was apologizing correctly. So instead of, you know, your kids, especially when they're seven or eight, you know, you're making them apologize and they're like, sorry, you know, and you can tell this is deeply from their heart, you know, <laughs> right. just, so yeah. yeah. So we decided, okay, sorry is not a sentence. Mm. I'm sorry for Andrew. I am so sorry that I and then you own the thing. And that for us, and especially in those early years, was part of helping them restore the broken relationship, restore the relationship with yep. the person who was on the other side of that infraction. So we started that early. That continued as, as the offenses got more and more severe. You know, those responses and the reestablishing those broken relationships, you know, kind of escalated yeah. proportionately. But that was something we wanted to start early and we tried to carry through because if we want to end up with those relationally healthy children, this was the path to get there in every stage of yep. the parenting journey. And all of us know adults who don't know how to fix a relationship. They're just stuck. Yes. And when you hear their story, you think, well, just call him. Just call her. I mean, just go. Mm -hmm. And they just never develop the life skill of restoring a broken relationship, making restitution. Mm -hmm. Humility fuels healthy relationship, but humility is not intuitive in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so modeling that at home early without the fear of, oh, no, if I admit it, I'm wrong, my kids are going to lose respect for me. No one has ever lost respect for someone who showed humility. Yes. It's the opposite of humility that causes us to lose respect for people. So mm -hmm. trying to model that and then 
build that into the discipline model at home was a big deal to us. David, is Owen still loving his Sundays for dog's food? He absolutely loves it. I didn't think it was possible, but I think he eats more now that we use Sundays. How about Lucy? Oh, she may be little, but she loves to eat Sundays too. I love that we can feel great about what our pups are eating. Sundays contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic nutrients. Besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, it also has digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger, plus disease-fighting antioxidants. And it's easy to store and serve, plus it costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands. Better quality dog food that saves us money. I wish we'd found Sunday sooner. Me too. With Sundays, every order ships right to your door, so you'll never worry about running out of dog food again. With our crazy schedules, that's the best part about it. We love dogs around here, so we worked out a special deal with Sundays for our dog-loving listeners. Get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash RBG or use code RBG at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash RBG. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. Okay, we have more questions, certainly. We could sit with y'all and talk for four hours, but <laughs> but I want to stop and, and interject something really quick because I'm just thinking about y'all are saying so many beautiful, intentional, thoughtful things that I think you can start from really early on, which is so helpful for parents of littles. And I'm going to ask a question that I already think I know your answer to, but the parent who's listening whose kids are 15 and 13. And they're thinking, oh, my goodness, I haven't done any of this yet. Yeah. Would you all say, is it too late? Well, you hope I say, no, it's not too late. <laughs> right. It is not too <laughs> late. It's too late. I'm assuming no. based on no. who I can tell you all are. <laughs> yes. No, it is not too late. And I just sort of tip my hat to the way, the path forward. And again, we spent 10 years doing high school, middle school ministry. So been there done that, seen the kids go dark, lights out with their parents. The kids are there physically, but you know, these kids, these kids are not here. And as soon as they're able to leave, they are gone and they're probably not ever coming back. Mm. The path forward is humility. Mm. It just is. The path forward is humility. And there are no quick fixes. We know that. And there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees in any relationship, but the path forward is humility. It's, I was wrong. I can understand why you feel that way now. I realize it's humility, whatever that looks like. That's sometimes easier for women than for men, which makes humility in a man even more powerful because it's unexpected. And we do not see it in culture almost ever because it's it's viewed as weakness. But with our children, and I don't know if you want to talk much about this, but I think one of the most important principles we talk about in the book is this, that we have a relationship with our children, but it is not the same relationship. We have a relationship with our children. It is not the same relationship. Mm. The children are in a relationship with someone who holds all the cards. The parents are in a relationship with someone who's not holding any of the cards, unless we hand them all the cards. So, There is not equality. There is a power dynamic that is important and unavoidable, but it creates a tension. And because of that, 
If we as parents can remember that, I'm in a relationship with my children. It's a completely different, it's two different relationships. The moment we begin bringing humility as we sit in our parent seat into that relationship, we create, even with middle school and high school students, the potential, no guarantee, the potential for healing and restoration in those areas where we feel like we've done it wrong, whether we powered up or we were absent. You know, we were too involved, we weren't involved enough, whatever it might be. Humility is the path forward. It opens the doors. But let's be honest, of course there are no guarantees, especially with middle school and high school, especially with high school students, (laughs) because they're young adults. And we have to hope they choose to reciprocate or move in our direction. Mm. I think also, Sissy, this is where being students of our kids is so important because they're all different. Humility is universal, but then there's some other things that we can do that are specific to each child that is so important for reestablishing, for reconnecting, and for building the kind of relationship that we hope we can move forward with. And we live in a day and age now with so many tools available. I mean, you've got Enneagram, you've got temperaments, you've got love language. I mean, just all of the things. It's never been easier to be a student of your children. So I think that's so important as well. And, you know, just figuring out how is this child wired? And while it may be uncomfortable for me to lean into that, it may be completely opposite from my wiring. That's another way to just love them and love them well and move forward when things haven't necessarily built up to it. Our middle child, Garrett, is very different than us. And we realize, we think late in the game, how we were misparenting him based on really his temperament. Mm -hmm. And we have apologized (laughs) so many times. He finally told us to stop because we look back and realize, (laughs) oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. because we learned along the way. But but, we, as foster parents in Georgia, and I think it's probably this way in most states, you have to do 15 hours of continuing it every year to keep your fostering license. So in one of our foster care continuing ed classes, Kathleen Edelman with the temperament study, I said this, you heard that, Mm -hmm. came. And it was the first time we had heard her and she was talking about the different colors of temperaments. And that's when we realized that our middle son was this yellow, yellow, you know, he was in the yellow quadrant. We're both down here in the blue quadrant. And so we realized we were constantly going, okay, Garrett, stop, Garrett, sit down, Garrett, why are you doing that? No, Garrett, we can't have 10 people over. You can choose one. I mean, you know, just all of the things Mm. that were so... So him, yeah, so, so yeah, him. Him, yeah. And so to Andy's point, when we did this, we came home. We we're like, here, we are so sorry. We just <laughs> this we is something terrible. we've not understood. <laughs> yeah. And so you know, probably about twelve more times over the next years, we apologized. And finally, he said to us, he said, "Okay, look, you can stop apologizing." He said, "I've met some extreme yellows, and I don't even necessarily like them. So if you toned me down a little bit, <laughs> I'm grateful." He did. That's that's exactly <laughs> that's so what good. he said. So yeah. sweet to let us off the hook a little bit. But but again, humility, you know, coming to your kids when you recognize that you have just not done it well, whether it was a one-time thing or a whole, you know, seven or eight or 10 years of things, that humility sets a tone for healing Mm. and sets a tone for Mm. moving forward. And one last thought on that. In the book, we swap back and forth writing the chapters in the book. I wrote the chapter on words, the weight of our words, source determines weight, you know, the importance of words. And One of the things I talk about is when we apologize to our kids, the most important part, when we're humbling ourselves to our kids, the most important part is the hardest part. And the most important part is stop talking. Mm. You own it. 
then you stop talking because our natural tendency is to own it and then explain it. But an explanation always sounds like an excuse Mm. 100% of the time. And everyone listening to this has experienced this where somebody apologized for something and then began explaining why they did it. Which is kind of like saying it again. Yeah. (laughs) All over again. So you own it and then you stop talking. And that's hard. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. I had this amazing experience 10 years ago where I got to go to a writing conference that Madeline Lingle and Lucy Shaw taught. And I remember Madeline Lingle saying, we have an excuse for every sin. Mm. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And and I think what y'all are saying, I love that the more we talk, the more we get into a place where we're kind of excusing ourselves too. Yeah, yeah. And we take away the impact of what we're saying. So yeah, yeah that's beautiful, y'all. Sissy, is Henry still enjoying his high vitamins? He is, and I'm so thankful because for a long time, Henry would only take the gummy vitamins. That's because they are basically candy in disguise. Most kids' vitamins are filled with sugar and chemicals junk kids do not need. I know. It's why I'm so excited about Haya Kids Vitamins. Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk. Haya was formulated with the help of nutritional experts to include a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies and 15 essential vitamins and minerals, essential for supporting immunity, energy, brain function, mood, and concentration. And of course, we know kids don't really care about all that health stuff, but Haya's got something for them too. Henry still loves the customizable jar that came with our first order. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To grab this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash RBG. This deal is not available on their regular website. So go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash RBG and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so this season of our podcast is based on these ideas of progressing towards being emotionally strong and worry-free. And so we would love to hear from y'all a story of each of your growing up that really has helped shape you into who you are. And I'd love to also hear your Enneagram numbers as we're thinking about that. Y'all mentioned that. I'm just curious. We're double ones. We're both ones. (laughs) I (laughs) wondered. We're double ones. We are too. Oh, you are? Are you? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We got four ones in this conversation. Yeah. It looks like no one lives in our home. It looks like we're trying to sell it and we have everything put away so people want to buy our house. That's the joke. I'm a systems person. I've never met a system I can't make more efficient. So, you know. Great. And one of the things that Sandra talks about, too, is one of her regrets, looking back, is because she is so efficient. You know, efficiency is the enemy of relationship. You can't have an efficient relationship. Mm. And so for those of us who are wired to be organized, Mm. you got to leave that in the garage. You know, you got to leave that in the briefcase or at work. Efficiency is great at work. It is not great at home. Mm. Sitting down and playing with my kids did not feel like an efficient use of my time. Mm. (laughs) Back to your question. I'll tell you a quick story. And I can't remember if I share it in this book or in my book, Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. A defining moment for me, and I think this illustrates so much to me, going to your question and growing up. When I was in the probably eighth grade, 
my friend who many of your listeners know of, Louis Giglio, Louis and I grew up together since the sixth grade in my dad's church. Wow. Yeah. And so we had a habit of after Sunday school, we would not go to church. We would go down the street to the Varsity, which is this big drive through restaurant. And uh, we would skip church. And my dad was on live television and we would stand on a chair and change the channels to the sermon so I could get just enough of the sermon <laughs> to get in the car and mention the sermon so he would think I was in church. Okay, <laughs> Preacher's kids, That's this great. is what we do. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> One Sunday, it was just the two of us. We got in his car to drive home. And I'm sitting in the back seat. I remember I was sitting behind him, not in the front. It was just the two of us. And uh, we're driving home and he said, Andy, and he mentioned his administrative assistant's name. Her name was Evelyn. He said, Evelyn told me that a friend of hers said that she saw you and Louie leaving the church property and it looked like you might be headed down to the varsity. So I'm sitting behind him thinking, oh, I am so in trouble. And then he said, do you know what I told her? I said, no, sir. He said, I told her, you raise your kids, I'll raise mine. Wow. I was in the eighth grade. I can still picture this moment. And here's why. Now, I didn't have the thoughts I'm about to share with you then, but as I've thought about it since then... In that moment, I knew where I stood in relationship to my dad's Mm -hmm. reputation, Mm -hmm. and I knew where I stood in relationship to his career, and I was clearly the priority. He did not say that, Mm -hmm. but there was an emotion in that moment that was so powerful, Mm -hmm. and it's a reminder of so many things in terms of parenting, prioritizing, the words we choose, the weight of our words, that the source determines the weight, so many things. And of course, the next Sunday, where do you think Louie and I were? We were on the second pew. We wanted to be seen. (laughs) We are in church, not because of a threat. And that was the end of the conversation. There was no punishment. It was such a powerful, powerful moment that I think as a pastor raising three preacher's kids, that helped me so much be Mm. proactive and intentional about helping my kids understand where they stood in relationship to my career, which was a little bit of a struggle for Sandra sometimes because she felt more compulsion to protect my reputation in the community than I did. Primarily, I think, because of that incident growing up. Yeah, mm. yeah, that would have been my default, was kind of parent toward reputation preservation. Yeah. Mm. It just would have been. As a pastor's family, you're looked at, you're studied, you're watched, you're, you know, there's so much of all yeah. that. Sure. And I didn't grow up as a pastor's kid. I grew up in church, but I'd never had that fishbowl experience. Mm. And what a powerful thing. I was so thankful that Andy led us in that direction. Mm. I think for my story that probably shaped me, I was the middle of three kids. And so I had an older sister who did everything first and a younger brother, only 18 months younger, who got a lot of attention. He was the first boy and he was also, you know, the youngest and obviously needed more attention. And yet my parents were so intentional about putting energy around my interests. They were careful about that. And I think it came from my mom's sister, who was the middle child in her family, who said, hey, don't ignore Sandra, (laughs) because she had felt ignored in their family. And so my parents were just so (laughs) intentional in making sure that I felt like I was seen and that I, you know, was worthy of having my own activities completely different from my siblings. And I just, you know, when I think about a story that maybe helped shape who I became, I think that weighed a lot in those years Mm. because I think I could have easily gotten lost as the second daughter, you know, and Mm -hmm. the middle child and all of that. So I have this actual, it's not an A memory. It's actually kind of two years of Thursdays, where my mom drove me to Macon, Georgia, which was about an hour away, 
to gymnastics because there wasn't any kind of beyond a little bit of tumbling. There wasn't anything where I grew up in Dublin, Georgia. So she drove me every Thursday to Macon, Georgia, which was so difficult. I mean, she had three children after school, you know, all that. And it just made me feel important and it made me feel seen. And they knew I was not going to be an Olympic gymnast. I was going to be way too tall for that. The gene pool (laughs) in our family was tall. It wasn't even about succeeding at something, which I didn't realize at the time I was certain I was going to be Nadia Komenich, but that was a whole other thing. (laughs) Anyway, so it just made me feel seen and prioritized. And I think just contributed a lot to just being healthy emotionally. Mm. Mm. It's beautiful. What are some things you think helped your kids become emotionally strong or worry-free? We have a chapter in the book about marriage, and we have that in there because we've all heard, you know, a healthy marriage is one of the greatest gifts you can give your children. We are surrounded with friends and certainly people in our churches who are single moms, single dads, and that's not necessarily a gift they can give their children. Both of our dads grew up with single moms, so we are not unfamiliar with that. But we also recognize that a two-parent healthy relational environment is great for our kids. And I think one of our things throughout our entire parenting journey was to keep our marriage a priority, even if it seemed a little counterintuitive with kids because there's need after need for our time and our attention. So there were a few things we did in our marriage to get us to the finish line. And again, if our goal is ultimately to have kids who want to be together and with us when they no longer have to be, obviously we have to make it to the finish line together to get to that it. And so I think prioritizing our marriage did a lot for helping our kids feel emotionally secure and safe. I think the other thing, and this is certainly not original, but I don't know that we can say it too much. We did not bail our kids out. Mm. We just did not. The sooner we can allow kids to face the natural consequences of their decisions, the better. That's part of individuating. And one of the pushbacks sometimes we get when we talk about our win, that our kids would want to be with us and with each other when they no longer had to be, sometimes it's, oh, is that codependency? I'm like, no, no, no. Codependent people have to be together. They don't want to be together, and they don't enjoy being together. So this Mm. isn't codependent. You have to Mm. individuate in order to be able to choose to come back. And this is, and then the other thing is, well, isn't that a little bit self-serving? It is self-serving, but it self-serves everybody. Everybody wins. Because You've never heard somebody say as an adult, you know, the root of my problems is that I enjoyed being with my family too much. <laughs> That's never the presenting problem. You know, I was too close to my, my parents were so healthy. You don't, you don't get that. And I think the natural consequence thing, again, a defining story moment for me was the first time I got a traffic ticket when I was 16 years old in my mom's four-door Catalina driving home from school. And I got home and I thought, my dad's just going to be so angry. And I said, dad, I got pulled over. I got a ticket. He said, well... What do you need to do? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. He said, let me see the ticket. And he turned it over. He said, here are the instructions. And he handed it back to me. That was it. Wow. You got the ticket. Mm. Deal with it. He didn't take the car away, the keys away. It's like, take care of it. And I'm like, mm. yeah, I was making like $2.90 an hour working at Winn-Dixie. I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, So what that says to our children is, I think you've got what it takes to figure this out. You don't need me to hold your hand. And if you need me, let me know. But yes. I believe you've got what it takes to figure this out. And the other thing my dad would always say, I would ask him to something or help me with something. He would say, I mean, a thousand times. So what would you do if I wasn't here? Mm, That's a great question. And I would say, but dad, you are here. That's what I would say. And he would say, yeah, but Mm. what would you do if I wasn't here? And again, just Mm. put it back on me appropriately. 
So those things instill a sense of confidence, like, hey, my dad thinks I've got what it takes. Sissy, did you know the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, is one of my favorite Bible translations? I did know that, David. And I know that's one of the reasons you love the Explorer Bible for kids. It is such a clear and accurate presentation of God's Word, which makes it a great translation for kids. Besides being readable and understandable, the Explorer Bible for Kids includes interesting call-outs and QR codes linking to videos, discussion questions, and even printable activity pages. The Explorer Bible for Kids is a great tool for developing lifelong Bible reading skills from an early age. The full-color designs, fun facts, timelines, and photos will help kids see the Bible as real and exciting. Choose from five amazing cover options today at LifeWay.com. Use code RBGCSB for 40% off. That's code RBGCSB for 40% off. Okay, so thinking back to your early years of parenting, what would you all each say is something you worried about that you wish you hadn't? I know what mine is. I worried too much about our house. Like, don't scratch, don't touch, don't smear, don't smudge. And that's the Enneagram one. Like, everything needs to look like, you know, we're about to sell the house, right? Yes. Oh, how I wish. And to tell you how far we've come, we had three little girls that lived with us for a while as foster kids, and the youngest was five. And when she moved in with us, somebody had given her some roller skates that she'd never used before, so they hadn't been outside and gotten all scratched up. We would let her roller skate around our house on our hardwood floors <laughs> as much as she want around the island in the kitchen all through the living room Aww. and Andrew our oldest came home from college and he looks at us like you wouldn't even let us run in the house and she is roller skating <laughs> all over the house I'm like you were practicing being grandparents so I don't know so you know over time you mature but I wish I could just go back mm. and just not worry about just those things that don't matter. And I feel like I was a little bit too hard mm. on some of that yeah. stuff. You know? And both being ones, we both kind of leaned in that direction a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I would rewind and undo some of that. Yeah. 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 I think mine, we kind of touched on earlier, was really that not just reputation preservation, but just that our kids, that they wouldn't stumble and do things where the consequences were so high, they were going to have to carry it with them for the rest of their lives. Mm. And I think that's a natural thing for us to worry about. And especially, you know, the stakes get higher as our kids get older. I tended to worry a little more. And I would say to Andy, oh my goodness, you know, this is, you know, whatever the thing was, this is just going to wreck them forever. And he's like, they're fine. (laughs) (laughs) It was mostly with our boys. And I would think back over my childhood and I would be like, honey, we we got lots of margin. They're not even close. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about the stuff that I did, uh, me and Louie. So so that was probably my tendency. And and looking back in the rearview mirror, I have a little more perspective about. Chill. Yeah, just just chill. Mm. And to her credit, you know, it goes back to honor mom. You honor mom, but the flip side of that, To our boys especially, I told them, you can say anything to me you want. You can use any tone you want. You can use any volume you want. You can use any language you want for me, not her. Mm. So when she would hear them talk disrespectfully to me, of course, she would feel that. And, you know, in private, it's like, 
Why do you let them talk to you that way? How can you let them? I'm like, because it's in them and I would rather know what's in them and I can take it. I don't take it personally. I'm going to sit in my parent's seat. I'm not going to argue because you don't argue with the child. We talk about that in the book. Mm. I can live with this tension. Now, they're not going to talk to you that way, but it's fine with me if they talk to me that way. But I had grown up with Lieutenant Colonel Bob Walker as a dad. <laughs> and so we did, you know. No, just... no. Marine Lieutenant <laughs> Colonel Bob okay. Walker. And you yeah. didn't talk back to my dad either. I mean, but yeah, I, just... especially with our boys, I knew that to keep the relationship healthy, I needed to allow them to say whatever they felt and I would absorb it and not react to it. Mm. And honestly, because of my temperament, that's not that hard for me. For other men, different temperaments, you know, they just want to get up out of their parent's seat and we're going to have a peer-to-peer argument, which is always a mistake. Mm -hmm. You never win an argument with your children. You never win an argument with your spouse. There's no win. Once, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just Mm lose-lose. So Mm -hmm. that was one of the things that we had to adjust to in those adolescent years. And on the other side of it, I'm so thankful. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And she was, she was great. She just said, okay, I, I don't, I don't understand this. I trust that you, you. Got, have a better hand. I've never been a 17-year-old boy, yeah. so I'm going to just trust that you have this. <laughs> we almost, I wanted to name, mm. this was a bad idea. I thought about naming the book The Hole in Our Wall, <laughs> because if you read the book in chapter one, I, I tell this story of a night where me and one of my sons, he was so angry and I wouldn't give in and he went upstairs and just punched a hole in the wall. Then he came back downstairs holding his hand and, mm. and, and he said, I'm going to pay to get it fixed. And in the book I talk about, we never patched up that hole. It is still there to this day, mm. just as a reminder of, hey. Stay in your parent's seat. Yeah, stay in your parent's seat. And mm. later on, one of our foster kids was, I mean, years later, so angry with me. She was me. 16. She was 16. And I mean, she was just going at me, going at me, going at me. And I was just sitting patiently. And finally, I said, come up here. I want to show you something. So I took her in his old room, flipped on the light, flipped on the closet light open the door. There's this fist size hole through the sheetrock. I said, you see that hole? I said, I am willing for you to get that mad at me, mm. but I'm not changing my mind. Wow. This was my way of saying, I'm not going to get up out of the parent seat to have a peer-to-peer argument with you mm-hmm. because it goes back to what I said earlier. We're in a relationship. It's not the same relationship. Mm. And she rolled her eyes and went to a room and that was the end of that. So anyway, <laughs> the hole in our wall. It didn't really work. No, it didn't work with her. <laughs> but she's one, you know, she's 22 now. She's wonderful. You know, frontal lobe yeah. development makes yeah. a big yeah, difference as right. you know. So right. anyway. Right. <laughs> yes. Oh, y'all. So we good. We would love to ask too, what is one statement you wish someone had said to you as you started this parenting journey? I don't have a good answer to that question because one of the things we did before we even had kids, but certainly as soon as we had Andrew, because we worked with teenagers and parents for so long, we gleaned so much wisdom from those amazing parents that I feel like we kind of had a head start and a kickstart. As soon as we dove into parenting, we were already students. We were already reading the books. I feel like we had that advantage. So I don't feel like there was some major thing that we, you know, years later thought, oh my goodness, not because we're smart, but because we just had the advantage of those 10 years of ministry to learn from so many amazing parents. We would take them to lunch and breakfast and say, Mm. what did you do? We'd meet these extremely emotionally healthy kids and relationally healthy kids. And we're like, okay, their parents did something right. You know, give us your map. What was your playbook? So Mm -hmm. 
I'm so grateful for that. I don't know how you answered that question. Yeah, the one thing I find myself <clears throat> saying to moms often, and it would have been helpful if somebody had been whispering it in my ear over and over, you know, because you you know it, but sometimes it's hard to apply it. You are not going to always get it right, and that is okay. Mm. There is one perfect parent, and you are not him. <laughs> yeah, because you know right. my you know my goal was always to just get it right and to be perfect and to, you know, nail it every time and just taking that pressure off and realizing you're never going to get it all right. And it is okay. It is okay. Mm. So that's good. Mm. We really could spend six hours talking to you. And and I hate that. I feel like we need to let you go for the sake of time. But I I mean, y'all have shared so much wisdom. It makes me so excited for every parent out there. If you have not already ordered or read this book, go right now yes. to your local bookstore or to Amazon and get parenting, getting it right. We love just your hearts. Thank you. We feel like there's so much that we're like-minded in. But I, I mean, I think for you all to say, to lead with humility, I mean, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So yes, you much are. of this conversation, we're just so grateful and honored y'all would Spend time with us, but David needs to end the conversation with a fun little question before we let you go. We like to move to something fun and food-related. Great. So we want to ask you both, queso or guac? And then the second part of the question is, what's your favorite taco? Definitely guac. Definitely guac. I have a molcajete of my own over here, the lava rock thing to make guacamole. Oh, do you really? We are guacamole people. Do you have a really good recipe? I mean, she has multiple. Well, I do, but I'll tell you the easiest one, and it's amazing every time, is just avocados and salsa verde. And some salt and pepper. Mm, Perfect. Yes. If you yes. gotta be fast, that's go. the fast, easy one. Yeah. Um, we're that's big good. fish taco fans. Yep. So love fish tacos. We love fish tacos. Yes. That was the that's easiest question. question. We'd love to share a fish taco with you all at some point. <laughs> yes. Y'all. It thank has been you. a delight to spend this time with you. What a yes. rich conversation. We for, can't thank you enough mm. for giving us this time. Well, thank you for having us. Yes, thanks for sharing your amazing platform with us. And thank you for what you're doing for tens of thousands of parents, not just all over the country, but all over the world. It's it's so powerful. Please keep it up. Thank Thank you all. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to click the follow button in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. To learn more about our parenting resources or to see if we're coming to a city near you, visit our website at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.